I'm going to catch you up a little bit on where we are in a sermon series called The Way We See the World. Um, if you don't have a Bible and you need one, there are usually Bibles under some seats. And if you still can't find one, um, maybe just borrow your neighbor's. It's totally fine. There's also free Bible apps on your phone. And if you don't have a smartphone, congratulations. <laughs> I'm, I'm proud of you, okay? Um, the way we see the world uh, simply is this. Um, is that you could go to one of the thousands, millions of different churches um, that share the same essential statement of faith that, that there is a God, Yahweh, the God of the Bible, who created all things, is powerful and mighty over all things because everything came from Him. He created all things. In Him, everything exists. And that He loved the world and that He sent His Son to rescue that world. You can have, you can have all these churches that will say the same thing, but they, they act in very, very different ways. Um, and so, the way... We, as a church, um, see God's love for the whole world and want to imitate that might look different than another church that sees that and may act in a, in a starkly contrasting way. And I don't know if you've ever heard someone, after seeing the way um, a, a church has acted, say, well, that's not, that's not the Jesus I see in the Bible. Right? And what they're saying is, that's not what I see, Right? It's not the the way I'm seeing the truth applied. And so we want to show you, through what we're calling our theological vision, um, the way we see our statement of faith um, applied in our lives. Our theological uh, vision is simply this. Um, Our mission is Christ's healing community. And our theological vision is the church of the city, incarnating King Jesus in city life speaking its language, singing its rhythms, sharing spaces, freeing the oppressed, fighting injustice, finding people of peace, and inviting the city into the kingdom of God. This is, as a church, what we hope all our actions will lead to, all our, all our um, faith in who God is and his expression of love towards us in sending his son. Um, we hope that, that our response is this. Um, that comes under this, this mission heading, Christ's Healing Community. And I want to take a little time explaining that to you. When I say Christ's Healing Community, it does mean that our communities are broken. They're, they're so broken. It's like when you, when you see a plate fall and shatter on the ground and <laughs> your first thought isn't, Sweet, I'm going to glue this back together. But, but it's maybe in such a disrepair, like, I don't even know what to do with this. And that's sort of what it can look like. It's what our, our uh, society can look like. But I'm not merely pointing at our culture and our society or our cities and saying, oh, it's broken. We also look inward and say it's not just their problem, it's not just their brokenness, but I've experienced incredible brokenness myself. Right? It's not just their problem, it, I'm the problem. Right? It's not just they're the problem, you're the problem. That, that each of us equally, when we, when we are confronted, when we meet a God who is holy and good and loves unconditionally, we come 
face to face with the incredible reality that we ourselves have been in error. That, that I have sinned and I have fallen short of the glory of God. And it is by His goodness and His grace that He has drawn me to Himself and picked up my broken pieces and put me back together. And so, when I say Christ's healing community, I'm not just like, they need to get healed, but I'm experiencing myself the healing of God, who's, who I still feel is shaping me into His image and, and making me into the loving person He created me to be, to love you guys and love Him and be in relationship with Him. It's because of His love for me that He has, he has unstopped, He's opened my deaf ears so I can hear His voice, that, that I can actually see Him and see Him acting in the world and be really, really excited about it. That can give such a joy to my heart because I see and I hear. And that seeing and that hearing leads to both a responsibility to share that, but also an incredible joy. A responsibility and a joy um, <clears throat> to see other people healed too. So it's not just a responsibility because some of us can, can really get on the responsibility part like, have you shared your faith this week? You know, and you're like... Yeah, I'm working at it, right? <laughs> and, and it's a lot more than that. It's, it's the simple praise that flows out of your lips when you, uh, when you eat a really delicious sandwich and you turn to the person next to you and you're like, this is amazing, right? And, and you're so excited because the experience you've had, like that, how much greater when you've been put back together, right? Your, your brokenness, you've all of a sudden realized that you were made, you were created for something. And that God who created you wasn't like, well, forget you. But he goes, no, I want you to come back home and I want you to be healed and freed. And as he does that, then our response would be like, everybody else, come on, right? And so we are inviting people to experience also the healing that God himself brings looking for those who, when they hear of the opportunity God makes available to them, something in them goes, that is what I've been looking for my whole life. This is uh, what the Bible calls and, and what we're calling people of peace. When we say finding people of peace, on, um, on a very simple level, we all look for people of peace. People who um, will be people that we essentially uh, find safety with. Uh, I was homeschooled, as many of you know, until uh, ninth grade. Uh, but ninth grade was not my first adventure into society. Um, I had been socialized before that. <laughs> Surprisingly enough. And uh, <laughs> uh, when I was in seventh grade... My first adventure into the public school sphere uh, was I joined the wrestling team. And so, go from like home to like junior high locker room, wrestling team, and you can imagine the paradigm shift that is going on in myself. So, what happens is you go to a junior high locker room where like guys are just discovering acts and like and, you know, they don't really know like anything about life, but they're really confident about it. <laughs> so, so you enter that, and, uh, and immediately you look for your, your person of peace who will be a safety for you in that storm. Okay? 
Um, half of you guys aren't saying anything because you've never been in junior high boys' locker room, which is good. And the other half of you guys are like, I, you know, I just don't want to remember that. Um, it's terrifying. But I, yeah, you choose not to. Um, but, but honestly, I remember building this, those, those couple friendships where, where the person befriended me, and it was as simple as, hey, you're cool, man. And I'm like, really? <laughs> you know? And, and so you build that friendship, and there is safety for you. And, and as we look for that uh, in the world, what we learn uh, to see is that God isn't just at work in the church. Right? It's not just these pockets of places that say, well, we worship God, that he is at work, but we're finding people, we're maybe even finding places where God is already at work. He's already, by his spirit, cultivating their hearts to, to respond to his offer of peace that he's giving. And so when they hear about him, they're in, right? They don't even know what they're into yet, maybe, but they just hear and God is at work, and they, uh, their eyes start seeing, and their ears start hearing. So, kind of the moving question we're going to be dealing with today is, how do we be people who, who go out and with courage are both finding and inviting uh, these people into the kingdom of God, that, that they can discover His goodness through us? So, we're going to be answering that question in Luke 10, if you'd like to turn there with me. Luke 10, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 24. Starting in verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, Peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking, whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you, healing the sick who are there, and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near you. I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will be lifted to the heavens. Uh, Will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. And then we get this interesting break where we actually don't know what happened. We don't get their stories, but we see them return. And when they return, verse 17, it's with joy. And they say, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority 
to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy and nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you are pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Then He turns to His disciples and He says privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and hear what you hear, but did not hear it. So we have, we have a lot of scripture to work with and some challenging scriptures here. Before we, we dive in, um, and I'll give you the context of how we're going to break this down. Um, Jesus, as he addresses the 72 he's sending out, he gives them, we're going to call three instructions that they can expect on their journey uh, as they go out and tell people about him and they prepare the way for him. The second, he has like these three times of debriefing. So when he comes back, he talks first with 70 to 72 and then he talks with God, and then he talks with his disciples. It's like three separate addresses he does a debriefing just what happened. So, before we get into his instructions for the 72, um, I want to point out something really interesting, which uh, can defy some of our view of Jesus, this portrait of him that we have. Uh, if, <laughs> if you've seen any painting of Jesus, or you maybe you've even seen movies about Jesus. If you see movies about Jesus, oftentimes the characters will have like this very airy voice. Like, bless you, my child. And you're like, well, I don't know what's going on, but no one speaks like that. Right? And, and I think they're trying to make it sound holy or something. Like, you just get this idea uh, that Jesus is like kind of floating throughout his life experience. Right? Kind of like a hippie going with the flow. Like, everything's cool. Like, he wakes up and he's like, what do I do today? Because I go here and he's like, okay. Right? That's not what's happening. Um, here we see a Jesus who's very strategic. He has a short amount of time. And so he, he takes 72 people and he says, I'm going to go to all these places. You're going to go ahead of me and prepare the way. This is a serious Jesus who is about his father's business. And we learned this all the way back when Jesus was 11 years old. And his parents couldn't find him, and they found him in the temple court, 11 years old. And, and what does he say? He says, I am about my father's business. So, so take that view of Jesus, of like going with the flow, and just set that aside and know Jesus is about his father's. He's living a disciplined life with focus. right? So if, if you think following Jesus means you wake up in the morning and go, what do I do today? Right? You are behind the game. Right? You need to start looking to the future and be like, God, where are you, call- where are you sending me and I will go? I will go purposefully. Okay? You don't need to be behind the eight ball. Are you with me? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Half of you guys are like, I need to rewrite my plan. <laughs> That's okay. Get at that, you know? So, Jesus sends 72 people ahead of him into these towns and he equips them with these three essential instructions. 
The first is this. This is amazing. The first is that people want to hear about Jesus. That people want to hear about the kingdom of God. And again, this is, this is a, a huge shift in thinking. Because I don't think a lot of us go out the door in the morning and they're like, I'm going into a world that is is full of people just ready. Like a lot of you guys who work in the shipyard don't go into the shipyard seeing it as a place like a tree heavy with harvest. Have you ever walked into an orchard before they start harvesting the apples or pears? And it's like the trees are crying out like, pick me! Because if you don't, they're going to fall to the ground, right? And, and so they're just ready. And, and this is what Jesus is saying. When you walk out your door, when you enter these towns, see them as places who are ready to hear about Jesus. And that's not the view we oftentimes have. The view we have is this. Oh, it's a dark world. And Jesus is saying, no, there are people who I have already been in communication with. You're just the guy who gets to help them wake up. The girl, right? You get to be a part of that. Seeing the world as weighted with hearts. People ready to hear about Jesus. For your involvement, he says, so pray that not just you will go, but that others will be called also because the work is way too big for just you. And, and in praying for that, there's two things I, wanna, I just want to address really quick in prayer. Because a lot of times in prayer, we don't, I don't know if we really know what we're doing. I think two essential things in prayer are this, that, that you are expressing your care for what you're praying for. Your care for the situation, that you realize that this, this issue is so great, and you care about it so much that you're going to go to the only one who can actually help with it. You care so much about it. And, and I want to say, and this is a very serious comment, but I think, I think unless you're praying about something, you really don't care about it. Unless you're praying about something, you really don't care about it. Because you're still, you're still just trying to care for it yourself. Right? And you're going to break just as easily as that thing will break but care for it enough to bring it to God because the second thing is you're going to care for it and God's going to cultivate your care for it, your love for it. I've never loved anything or anyone as much as when I'm praying for it. Okay? And then, and then I entrust that thing that I care so much about to God. I trust Him with it. God, I care so much about this, but I trust you with it. And so in that place of care and trust, then He says, you go. Go Verse 3, exclamation mark. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. <laughs> so <laughs> he goes from this really hopeful, like, like you're going out, everyone's ready for it. And they're like, oh yeah, they are. And he's like, and then I'm going to send you out like a lamb ready to get eaten. Go for it. <laughs> Good game. And, and so you go out and... And you're going out not as one exerting power or dominance or authority and making other people impressed by you, but you're going out vulnerable and helpless to serve just like the Son of Man who did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that's the, that's the posture that you're taking also. You're, you're going out there able to be consumed. 
Why? Because, because you're, taking the, the lesser, you're taking the lower path, right? You're, you're the one who, when someone else punches you, you're like, the other cheek's looking real good, right? You're going to be the one who is saying, you know what? Regardless of what you do, because I've been so loved by God, I can love you. Right? When the wolves gnaw at your leg, you're like, hey, do you love Jesus? Like, you want to hear about him? Right? That, that, <laughs> that's what it's telling you to do here. Why? Because, because you're set. Because you're secure. Because your name is written in heaven. Take my life. Right? I'm good to go. But you care so much. Why? Not because it's responsible. It's not to burn your bearing. But because the joy you've experienced. You even want your enemies to experience. So God is sending you out. So why? Why are so many maybe not going? And why are so many not coming? I think that's, that's one of the challenges we face. Um, and the thing is this, is God send us out, sends us out as, as lambs among wolves. Um, an example that I actually didn't even get to share with the first gathering, but this is a powerful example of, of if someone's drowning... Um, have you ever heard about this? And it's it's kind of similar to if if a, a plane you need oxygen, like get your oxygen on first, and you're like, <laughs> what? I wouldn't do that. I get someone else's oxygen, you know. And you think you're being awesome because you you'd get someone else's oxygen on first, even though it's not helpful. It's like when someone's drowning. They say, you know, if someone's drowning, you know, maybe. Maybe the most dangerous thing to do is just to immediately help them because what they're going to do is they're going to fight against you because they don't know which way is up and which way is down. They'll fight against you. Um, sometimes I need that struggle to end before you can save them. And this is so counterintuitive, but I think in this, this interesting context is that as we go out and we literally are, I think, on this mission to rescue people, welcoming them into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of, of peace, that struggle might be there, and the struggle might not be easy. I don't know if you've experienced that before, where you talk to somebody, and maybe they've been hurt or misled so many times, even if everything in them is going, I want this. They're going to they're gonna react against you. But you are getting sent out like a lamb among wolves. The second point is this, looking at verses 5 to 7, is that God has prepared the hearts of individuals to receive him. That God has prepared the hearts of individuals to receive him. So thankfully, following up with this drowning analogy, we aren't the only lifeguards, right? We have a greater lifeguard, Jesus, who is showing us the way and going with us as we go into the world, as we go into communities, Bremerton, Kitsap, wherever we're going, that we're going with him and we're going with his peace and with his strength. This word peace there that we're, we're called to welcome people into can mean a couple of things, and I think here it means all of them. The first is simply rest and quietness. So what we're inviting people into is to experience the rest of God. Here it says, when you enter a house, first say peace to this house. And when someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. 
So the first thing is, can you share rest together? The second thing is, is this, is a peace or oneness between individuals. So not only can there be rest and can there be quietness, but you realize that there can be something shared, that you can speak, but not only you can speak, they can, they can respond, they can have sincere questions, like, okay, I've heard about this Jesus guy, and I think he sounds kind of crazy. And you can respond to that, and you guys can learn to be in conversation together. And the third way peace is used throughout uh, the New Testament is the Messiah's peace, the way that leads to salvation. Jesus says, my peace I give to you. It's not as the world gives. It can't be taken away easily. And this, <laughs> this experience when you go into a place and you, you start sharing from your life, you start sharing about Jesus, you start preparing the way for Him, and someone responds not with animosity or not with anger, but they go, okay. And they just maybe they ask you a really hard question. In that place... The Spirit of God has already been working. I think this is my most beautifully uh, revealed in Scripture <clears throat> by Jesus' interaction with the thieves on the cross. If you remember the story of the thieves on the cross, Jesus gets taken out. It's not a good day for him. Uh, he's getting killed. And he gets like, strung up on this cross, totally exposed, totally naked. And he has, he has no comforter. And the two guys who are getting crucified by him are also, it says, heaping insults on him. <laughs> Not a good day. So, so both of them are going at it, getting upset at him, right? just, just abusing him. And then all of a sudden, one of them, one of them, who has been a wolf, all of a sudden, his heart begins to turn. And by the end of his conversation, brief as that conversation is, he says something as simple as, remember me. And Jesus says, today, you will be with me in paradise. That, that thief who was a wolf, who didn't know how to respond to the tension and the turmoil in his own heart and acted out with violence and with anger and with abuse towards Jesus, really was a person of peace and would find peace in the Son of God who could still give it after he acted out with animosity and anger, not even understanding how many of us understand what's really going on in our hearts. And when we hear about the quietness and rest Jesus has to offer, we go, I do want that, but I, I don't know. But I just, and when I, time I hear it, my first response isn't, isn't yes. It's like, ugh, right? And, and so Jesus is still present, and Jesus is still inviting him, and he finds the Prince of Peace there hanging on the cross. Jesus is present in that place of tension, not, not looking at him and going, hey, can you just be a little nicer to me? And I think this is such a great example as we move from this point to the third point, which is um, that too often we miss entirely the opportunity to welcome people into the kingdom of God because we, who are in the kingdom of God, are too easily offended um, hey, can you, can you stop swearing around me? Uh, it offends me. Hey, can you turn that music down? I just, it's so, I just don't like it. I don't think it honors God. 
So we like enter these situations, and instead of just like living out the peace that's in us, we're like, hey, if you could change your behavior, this would be a lot easier to talk about Jesus. <laughs> but that's, hear what we see twice spoken in this, which is profound, not only because what it is saying, but because of the context within which it spoke, it says, eat whatever they put in front of you. Okay, so if you, you know, no matter who you are, you probably know Jews don't eat pork, right? And they have this long list of things that they can't eat, a long list of things they can't eat, right? There's like crustaceans and birds and insects and like, like if it chews the cud or like has cloven hoof, or, right? You're like, there's a long list. And so probably their first question would be, uh, was this cloven hooved? <laughs> when something was put in front of them, like, so is this a lobster or is this, you know, and instead of that, he said, just receive whatever they're giving you, just, just take it. Because you are there to bring peace. You're here to bring the kingdom of God where worship isn't built any longer on these things. It's built on spirit and in truth. And you're just preparing the way for Jesus, the king of peace, to come. That's your role. To show that he is welcoming all people, all people, into his kingdom. If they they would just come and be with him. This is profound for us. Absolutely profound. Like, do you know that Jesus wants to eat with you? Like, literally, that's what it's saying. Like, Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart, and he wants to come in, and he wants to eat with you. He's going to take whatever you got to give him, right? And he will come, and he will bring you peace. And is that the way we're going out? That's how we're going to find people. The third is this, that every individual, and this is so beautiful, every individual is an open door into the entire community. Every individual, every individual home is an open door into the entire community. And that's what you see here. Um, That as they're entering these towns, these towns have literally, the whole town, I think, has a spiritual culture. There are spiritual strongholds in that town. And that's not just happening in Capernaum or Galilee or these other places. Like that happens here in Bremerton. If you live in Bremerton or the surrounding areas, there's a spiritual culture here. And whether or not you like it, you're a part of that. And you also have the ability to be an incredible influence on that culture and on that place. Do you know that? Like, I don't know what, what you guys are doing, but, but you can say, like, but my home is an open door for the gospel to be present in this entire place. Not just my neighborhood, but in Bremerton. Because that's, that is what happens. If, if any doors open... It's a town that is ready to hear. If any door, if, if one home receives you, Jesus is coming. And that is very, very exciting. Twice it says here, the kingdom of God has come near. This, this uh, introduction to a kingdom of liberation and freedom. Um, <clears throat> probably the, the most... Beautifully, this is said as in a holy night, where it says, Long lay the world in sin and error, pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. That, that long have we lain in sin and error. We've just been in this place where we long for peace, but there is no peace. And all of a sudden, the news comes Jesus is on his way. Jesus is coming to your town. 
This is really beautifully represented in, um, in a lot of narratives that come out of um, men and women who were in concentration camps being liberated. Right? This experience of absolute oppression, where they're getting tortured, they're getting abused, they have no freedom, their identity in a lot of ways, they just become numbers. Um, in this book, To End All Wars, this is not a concentration, it's an internment camp, but it's similar to that. In Japan, um, there was a number of, uh, of men gathered in a concentration camp, which you might be familiar with. There's a movie called Bridge Over the River Kwai. There's also a movie called To End All Wars, and, and that is coming from this, uh, this book by Ernest Gordon, To End All Wars. And this is, this is how he recounts liberation, freedom. He says, our first visitor from the outside world was an American paratrooper who had lost his way and wandered into our camp. See, the war had ended, and their, their captors had fled into the jungle because they no longer had power anymore. They no longer had authority to abuse them. And in fear that these people who they had abused would, would make an uprising, they just fled. And so there's this camp full of Men who now are free, but they don't even know where to go or how to live in that freedom. And, and so this paratrooper wanders in the camp. He says, we wondered what he must have thought as he was seized by a crowd of skinny, bronzed, bearded, half-naked savages who bore him on their shoulders through the camp. For hours we bombarded him with questions while he recounted step by step the entire course of the war, regaling us with everything that had happened during our three and a half years of silence. To us... He was the living embodiment of freedom and we, that we had longed for all that time. Hear that, that last sentence. To us, he was the living embodiment of freedom we had longed for that whole time. The living embodiment of freedom. You getting sent by the Prince of Peace to prepare a way for him into any community you live you get to be the living embodiment of freedom. Recounting for them how the Son of God has brought his kingdom. That the, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God himself is chasing out the darkness of Satan's reign. That no longer they have to live in oppression anymore. No longer is their identity stolen from them. They are beautiful children of God that he's welcoming to be adopted into his family. Do you know that you are the living embodiment of freedom? Do you feel that? Do you remember that? There's a, a challenging part to this passage that we're not going to deal with extensively, but the challenging part is this, that some rejected the news of freedom. That even though the kingdom of God came near, they shunned it. They didn't want it. And, um, and I don't know if there's an easy answer to say why. There's, there is no easy answer to say why. All I know is in, in the experiences I see of Scripture and the experiences I see in my own life, I understand, I understand that it happens. Um, when we see Israel let out of Egypt in freedom, they'd been slaves for over 400 years. And, and they leave, and, and the seas are parted, and, and God conquers the army of Pharaoh. And then the next day, they wake up and they grumble and wonder why they can't go back to Egypt. 
God gives you freedom and, and you realize that there's no need for shame, that you start seeing how he made you and that you can live in that, and then you screw up again. And you chase after slavery again. You willfully put yourself in bondage again. I have done that. You have done that. We do that. And so, so why are these towns rejecting Jesus? I don't know other than the fact that I have rejected Jesus. And it's a scary thing to know that Jesus can walk by, that Jesus can be offered, that the kingdom of God can come near, and yet eyes can still be blind to it and ears can still be deaf to it. So pray. Pray that many will keep going, many will be persistent. As they come back, there's three debriefings that Jesus does that I will just deal with very, very briefly. The first is with the 72, and the 72 come back, and they are just, they are all sorts of excited. Because they went out, and and as they went out, they saw... They, they saw oppression cease. Literally, they saw both spiritual and physical oppression be dealt with, be done with. People who uh, were, were lame walked. People who were demon-possessed were freed. And they're super excited about this and said, Lord, even the demons submitted to us in your name. And Jesus is excited and he says, I saw Satan fall from heaven. I saw... As you went out, you farmers, right? These aren't like trained preacher, theologians. Like these are just farmers going out in the name of Jesus and the light is conquering the darkness. And so Jesus is excited with them and he says, yes, you will have authority, but, but don't let that be your excitement. Let your excitement be this, that your names are written in heaven. So this is what's really cool, guys, is that regardless of what you do, Regardless of whether you are, you know, save as many people as Billy Graham in the name of Jesus, or in your, your whole life, you have been faithful with that message. The best news ever is that you are in the, when you are in the quietness of your own home, in your own bedroom, you can, you can sit down and feel the presence of God and know that your name is written in heaven. Your security isn't in the work that you do. Your security isn't in the work that you do, but in the fact that you have a relationship with God, that you are secure. And that, and that will give us incredible courage as we go out. We'll go out. Why? Because no matter what happens, my name is written in heaven. Oftentimes we get so caught up in project that the presence of God can get left out. There's this very sobering um, story uh, of uh, a couple who, uh, they, were, they wrote a book called Anointed for Burial. It was this biography about um, Cambodia, um, before Khmer Rouge, Khmer Rouge, however you pronounce that. And, um, and they, uh, <clears throat> they saw incredible healing and God worked in mighty ways, but then after that, they, they got divorced. They, they were participated in this incredible movement of God and then, and then later, their lives just fell apart. And you can go, how, how does this happen? Well, guys, it's very easy for this to happen. You know this because you have done this in your life. 
whether you're a parent who gets so caught up in the, the events of a day and you realize at the end of the day you didn't pay attention to your child that much, right? Or you're a husband who works, or wife, right? We've talked about this. You work so hard to provide for your family. And, and then you realize the ones you love so much, you're growing more and more distant from. And we can do the same thing with God. And we take it on as a responsibility to share his word and love others in his name. And yet he is inviting us into something far more intimate than just doing work in his name. He's inviting us into his presence. And we see that in the second debriefing, which in verse 21 it says this, at the time Jesus full of joy through the Holy Spirit. And, and this is profound because of this. This is the only time in all the New Testament where it, it's, it's, uh, it gives Jesus the emotion joy other than him speaking. Right? The only time it says Jesus was joyful. And that's pretty exciting. And the joy he experiences in the presence of God, and this joy immediately turns to him communicating with God. Right? I don't know if you've ever been in love before, but you like, you see something and you're like, hey, guess what? Right? Like, this is what he does. He's, he gets excited and he's like, oh God, guess, you know, he's like, he's so stoked. He just starts communicating to the Father. Right? Second point of, of debriefing is like this overwhelming, just this saying to him, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed in the little children. All these things have been committed to me by my Father. And this is so cool. Listen to this relationship. No one knows who the Son is except the Father. No one knows who the Father is except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. So what he's saying here is this, that, that you are getting welcomed into this incredibly tight relationship that's going on. This incredibly tight relationship that's going on that no one knows the Father unless it comes through the Son. No one knows the Son Except through the Father, he's like, so how do we... Because he's opening up and he's going, I'm welcoming you into this absolute unity. And that's a real, that should be very enlightening for us who sometimes are so scared to share what God is doing in us because we're like, but I feel like I need to be a little more logical about this. <laughs> Which is kind of funny because when you are really excited about something, you just speak gibberish. Yeah. You're like, I was just in that, I was, and it's, woo, right? Like, that, <laughs> like that's your experience because you're like, this is so good. And that's going to be far more articulate to somebody than like, God is the first mover. Uh, and then everything uh, moves because you need a first mover. <laughs> it's like this argument for the existence of God. So right? no one's going to be like, oh, I'm moved by that. <laughs> what you're going to be moved by is realizing that God created the world and everything in it. And even though it has lived, lived by turning its back on him, he has loved it so much. And that you have tasted of that love. And you can't explain it fully, but you've experienced it. And you want to invite other people into that. <laughs> and it's good. And there's, and there's so much more you can understand. There's so much more ways you can be articulate about that. But to simply share the intimate unity that the Son has shown you the Father and the Father has turned and shown you the Son. 
And so this goes into our last simple debriefing. When He turns to the disciples and he says this, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. And I simply want to charge you with this. Never forget how special it is. Excuse me. Never forget how special it is that you see. If you have seen God, if you have heard his voice to you, don't ever forget how special that is. Hold to that at all costs. Never let it go. If you're tempted to let that go, remove yourself from the situation and just hold to that. Don't think at the end of the day that you can bring back to God all the good things that you've done and return into his safety. Live in his safety constantly. You can, you can have views of God throughout the entire day. It can be a ceaseless communion with him of experiencing unity with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So never forget how special it is to see and show other people simply what you are seeing. What if every time we walked out the door we saw the trees of the world weighted with harvest? What if when we walked into Bremerton we saw that these are people that want to hear about Jesus? What if we spoke with confidence because we knew that some hearts God had already been preparing? We weren't the first ones to bring up the idea. God had already been working in their hearts. And they get the chance to respond. I know some of you guys are even um, on like aircraft carriers or, or submarines. And what if you went to those places knowing that those are places full of harvest? Right? Or you work in a code in the shipyard or or wherever you work, and it might be hard to see it, but what if you saw that as a place of harvest that God's been preparing and that you get to welcome them into his peace? What if we saw our homes as open doors into the city? I don't know what you're going to do with your home, but what if the home I'm in, I know that that is an open door into the kingdom of God? And we see the light chasing out the darkness as Satan's reign through us. Pray with me. God, thank you for preparing our hearts. Thank you that in so many ways, and for such a long period of time, you have over and over repeatedly called us to yourself and said, come. Come to a place of quietness. Come to a place of peace. Come to a place of eternal, unbroken relationship with a God who is so good and so loving. God, I pray that without any hesitation, we can say yes to that again today. I pray that we will go out of here courageously. And God, and that, that today and throughout the week, you will be dawning on us this new view that the world around us is waiting to hear about you. Help us see. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.